Hello and welcome to Inside the Euros. We're back to pick through the last 16 fixtures and we've got Statman Johnny Blaine back with us. How are you doing, Johnny? Afternoon, thanks for having me back. Johnny works with BBC, UEFA, the Premier League and many others providing stats from all over the world of football. And as you know, I'm Rick Sharma. And I'm David Gibbs. And we're not going to mess around. We're going to get straight into the action today. Game by game, we're going to go through this. Saturday, June 26th, Wales against Denmark in Amsterdam. The people's favourites from 2016 against the people's favourites this time around. Denmark are getting better though, aren't they, Johnny? Recovering from that Ericsson situation. Yeah, they've been great. They've had the most shots at the tournament, uh, 61. And they really, I mean, they hammered Russia the other day. And I don't think anybody, maybe even the Russians, didn't want Denmark to win that game. Uh, <laughs> with what they've been through. But, you know, aside from the Ericsson thing, Copenhagen's look great. Their fans seem great. So I just think, you know, it's fantastic that they went through. It'd be interesting to see them away from Copenhagen now in Amsterdam, I think some Danish fans will travel, as opposed to Wales fans who have been told not to go. I don't know how do you how do you see that game? Wales aren't haven't been bad, but they've given up a lot of chances, and I think Denmark could punish them. Wales have been pretty solid. Um, another stat for you: they've only let in more than once in one competitive game in the last seventeen. So they don't let in many goals, and that was against Belgium. And who doesn't concede two or three goals against Belgium? Um, I just, I think you're right. I think if this, if this was in Copenhagen, I'd really fancy the Danes, but could go all the way, could go either way, and potentially all the way. This one. It's quite interesting. Wales, they might go without Kiefer Moore up front, like they did against Italy in the last game, because they just have a bit more movement when they play Ramsey as a false nine, and you have James and Gareth Bale running around as well. So that that'd be one to watch out for. Yeah, Bale hasn't scored for a while. Though. It's been what, fourteen games now uh, for for Wales. They need him to step up. Scored that conversion. <laughs> yeah, good point. Two points for that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, talking of penalties, Johnny. I think it's was it fourteen penalties that have been at Euro Euro now, and was it is it eight that's missed? It's missed, yeah. More than half have been missed. And funny enough, I think when we spoke just before the tournament, I said we'd have loads of I said we'd have loads of penalties. I don't think we've had as many as I thought. Uh, VAR has been really good. Um, for the most part, it seems to have taken a bit of a dip, especially in that Belgium-Portugal game where everybody who we loved, the referee who we loved after the Champions League final, uh, let himself down. Um, the Spanish Mike Dean. The Spanish Mike Dean. I mean, look, <laughs> they missed five penalties in a row themselves, the Spanish. Um, so yeah, it's been a funny one on that front. All right, let's get a prediction from you both for Wales against Denmark. Who's going through? Uh, Denmark on penalties. I'm going to go with Wales. I think they're going to summon up, summon up the Euro 2016 spirit, and they'll 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 find a way to sneak through. And I think it might be a big incentive on that side of the draw that they could potentially meet England in a semi-final. So I think they might be hungry for that. Yeah, he'll be he'll be, he'll be close, I reckon. But I'm going to go Denmark as well. I think they've just got a little bit more quality when it counts. The core of that team we mentioned before is so strong. Then the other game that night is Italy against Austria in London. And Tom Middler from the other Bundesliga podcast, he came on and told us it was like a bit like a free hit for Austria, this game, because they've already gone beyond what they were expected to do. So for me, it's pretty hard to look past Italy. Yeah, it's a free hit and they're going to get whacked. Um, <laughs> Italy, unbeaten in 30, one away from the national record. What, 11 wins in a row without conceding? Um, they're going to score. 
Austria aren't going to score twice. You know, Austria, they were so poor against the Dutch and they then sort of turned it on against Macedonia and Ukraine. But I just, no, I can't see anything but. And Italy's still my tip to win the whole thing. I can't see anything but an Italy win. I know we I know we say Italy are, are potential tournament favourites now and they, they won this long unbeaten run. But the team, you know, I think we mentioned this in previous podcasts as well. The teams that they played aren't, necessarily the top top level and I think the, the the teams that they had were the Netherlands and possibly a tie against France maybe at, at some point and it's they haven't been tested against anyone I'm not saying Russia, uh, sorry Austria are the team that, that could cause them trouble but could maybe in the latter stages of the tournament that they, they get yeah. unpicked and get found no, 100%, out 100% but momentum's a massive thing when you're unbeaten in 31 games it's good look it's got to stop at some point uh, but they look Again, they won't be at home. No, no, they won't have the Rome factor, but they'll certainly, in my opinion, get through this. Yeah, I think so. I mean, for me, they've been the best team to watch so far in terms of style. They've been the most entertaining. The way Mancini's got them playing is just to, to keep attacking and attacking and attacking in very un-Italy fashion. And there's a real selection dilemma now between Locatelli, who's been remarkable so far in midfield, and Verratti, who came back against Wales and normally would be the first name on the team sheet for Italy. Uh, yeah, and Locatelli... He scored twice, didn't he, against Switzerland. Scores more goals than Verratti. Verratti rarely finds the net. Uh, difficult one. Verratti's the pass master, isn't he? All those gets those great passing completion stats and all that. But as you, he's almost a little bit more old school Italy, and Locatelli's more new school Italy. So yeah, it would be interesting. Right, prediction time. I think I know what you're both going to say, or have already said, in fact. Uh, three 0 Italy. Yeah, I think I think the Italians are going to. Cruise to this. I'll go with two now. I'll be a, bit, a little bit conservative on that one. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder if the games might be a bit more tighter in these in these matches to come, with more pressure, you know, more on the line for these teams. And I reckon it might end up being being. I mean, for me, an Italy win, but maybe a bit, a little bit tighter than it looks on paper. That one, at least. Sunday, June twenty-seven, has the Netherlands against the Czech Republic in Budapest. Another one where it looks like there's only one winner, Johnny. Right. Yeah, but I'm still a bit like Gibbo said about Italy. I'm not. Conv- I'm not saying he's not convinced about Italy, but I'm not convinced about how good the Dutch are. Um, I thought Austria was so poor when they played. They've come through a pretty easy group, in my opinion. Um, Ukraine weren't great, and they only just scraped past them in the end. No, no, it's, not- it's the Czechs. The Czechs. Yeah, but yeah, I'm just saying they've scraped through what I didn't think was a great group, and the Czechs can be tricky customers. Uh, but Vinaldum and Depay in great form. They should scrape through, but I'm not so hot on the Dutch. I'm not. I, I think the Czechs will probably get grab a goal. Patrick Schick seems to be in, in good form. He'll he'll want to score. Don't forget, as I mentioned in at the start of the tournament in the preview, the Czechs did beat England at home. Budapest. They, you know, some of the Czech fans hopefully might be able to travel there. I I don't know what the situation in the Netherlands is at the moment, and I I don't think the Dutch can can travel in numbers so they won't have the orange army behind them so we might actually see a budapest stadium with czech, czech, czech fans who might be able to spur them on and that might throw the netherlands a bit of course I, and I'll, I'll mention this later i think teams that have had the advantage to play at home it's not necessarily been an advantage yeah, I think with Spain, we'll talk about Spain later, but that's definitely been the case for them. I'm much higher up on on the net, the Netherlands than you guys are. I think I'm I'm convinced by them. I, I don't, 
you know, I don't rate Frank de Boer that highly as a manager, but I think he's shut up his critics over the over the group stage because at the start of the tournament, he had critics not only among the fans, media, whatever, but also the players were, were annoyed with him. They they wasn't playing a system, you know, the four three three that Ronald Koeman had when he was in charge. De Boer wants five at the back or three at the back and, and kind of wing backs as well. But it, it's worked. It's worked really well. And another another guy who's quieted his critics is Memphis Depay because after that second game, there was a lot of criticism within the Netherlands on Depay because he missed some chances and there was there were people writing that he kept you know he doesn't need to do it all himself he should pass the ball more he shouldn't always try and make something happen and just has to accept to pick his moment but he was it was fantastic in that last game I know it was against North Macedonia but he but he ripped him up and I think Depay signed for Barcelona is is gonna go on and, ha- and have a big big knockout stage and that midfield Vinaldum and De Jong and to a lesser extent, Darun, but they've all been really, really good in the midfield. It's the, it's the midfield of the tournament, along with Italy, for me. You've, you've sold me there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in, I'm in. I, I, I think maybe Depay as well has had that, because the transfer to Barcelona has now been announced. It's maybe settled him. And, you know, who knows, maybe Javin Sancho's transfer to Manchester United might settle him and he might get some game time. Well, I'd like to see Sancho, but it doesn't seem like Southgate's that keen on it. And as we heard from... Archie Rinter on the last pod, the Ger- the Germans are, are, are clueless as to why Sancho isn't playing more. This guy might sign for Man United for a hundred million pounds, and, and he's just not even been used. But we'll get to England. Uh, the Czech Republic, you're right, Schick has been good, and maybe they're a little bit better than I'm giving them credit for because England didn't have a single shot in that second half against the Czech Republic. They had next G of zero point zero. Yeah, England were poor. Almost as if both teams had settled for it. Um, the Czech certainly didn't want to win the group, knowing what they might face. England were just happy to win it. Um, yeah, like I can't. The Czechs are okay. Round of 16 is probably their limit as a as a, as a side. And fair play to them. But I'm not so hot on the Dutch. But I think the Dutch will be okay on this one. Um, I mean, isn't this a replay of the game in 2008? Wasn't it? Oh, 3-2. Yeah. yeah, when it's three two, it was goals galore. It was a fantastic was a game. game. Peter Cech made loads of saves. Um, it, it, was, it was a fantastic game to watch, and as I mentioned, it was one of my Euros that I believe was one of the best because it didn't have England for that reason. <laughs> yeah, it was a good Euros that one. I think the Czechs aren't as good as they used to be. I, I was think of, think back to classic Czech players, and they don't really have any of those in this current team. You know, there's no Nedved, there's no Barros, there's no Jan Koller up front. No Petr Cech. But sometimes you, you you don't need big names to 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 be a side. As long as you've got that team there, they can they can do well. So you know they might they might creep under the radar. Well, John A says that he's going with the Netherlands. Who are you picking, Give uh, I think I'm, I'm unfortunately, even though I've said that, I'm going to go with the <laughs> Netherlands. I, I think they're they're slightly too strong. Yeah, and I think the same. And then we move on to the other game that night. is probably the second biggest tie of the round, at least in my book. That's in Seville. It is Belgium against Portugal. And one of the favourites for the tournament is going to be eliminated in this match. How do you read it? Yeah, it's massive, isn't it? Just saying it's a shame it's in Seville. You know, there's been no atmosphere there. Uh, I don't know how, what, what will happen with the capacity... Uh, kind of place would have been great if it was at Wembley or, or in Budapest with more fans but as you say someone's going home uh, I mentioned this in the previous pod Ronaldo I didn't think he'd get to Ali Dai's record so soon um, yeah, yeah. and he's nice to do it, albeit with some penalties but that's not you know that's not his problem you've still got to put him away just relentless 36 year, 36 and a half years old 
he looks as fit and as lean as ever, and he's just relentless. Um, I'm not, I'm not saying he's carrying that team, but God, they, you know, they can't miss him. Gibbo nodding there with the Cristiano Ronaldo narrative going on here. Five goals he scored, which is is a, is a huge amount of goals at this stage of the tournament. But three of them are from the penalty spot. And I know, like you say, you've got to stick them away, and not many people have done, as we've, as we've spoken about before. But still, penalties. One was a tap-in from about two yards out, and then the other one came after Hungary had given up. I'm not buying the Cristiano narrative. I, I genuinely think Ronaldo will play until 39 at Munich 2024. Um, <laughs> he just wants to go on breaking records. I, I genuinely do hope he breaks Ale Dyer's record at, at this Euros. Um, it's it's a phenomenal achievement for a men's record, we must add. It's, it's a men's international record. Um, so he just keeps scoring. With, with that Belgian backline, we've talked about it. Again, they had it. They had an easy group, so they could potentially be tested here. And if Portugal start firing North Cylinders and as current European champions, I think they've got a call finals place. I think whichever team comes through this is is going to be in good stead because, like we said with Italy against Austria, they're not going to have played a tough opponent for a long time. Whereas whoever wins this is definitely going to be in the frame of mind to to take on you know, the top, top teams in Portugal, you could even argue, have done that already with their group, with France and Germany in there as well. And even Hungary weren't easy for anyone in that group. So it's going to be interesting. I think Bruno, Bruno who was benched for Portugal against France, is Bruno Fernandes might be on the bench again because they seem to be better without him. Well, talking about penalties, maybe he's nothing without them. Um, they've got a good squad. Um, and, he, and he made a brave decision and you've got to be brave in these tournaments. You can't just... Can't just roll with it and hope your best team is going to see you through it. Uh, and it was brave, and they've come through some some tough games. I know they weren't great against Germany, but that France game they played pretty well. Yeah, it was a thriller that one. But then on the other hand, you've got Romelu Lukaku and, and Kevin De Bruyne, who have been two of the standout players at the tournament, and their connection is something special. You see De Bruyne always looking for Lukaku, and they had a goal disallowed in their in their last group game, and then just repeated the exact same trick, and, and then it counted the second time. He's only played about 130 minutes, De Bruyne, and he's got one goal, two assists. Um, my mates always have a little dig at me because I think I said in a WhatsApp group about five years ago, I'm not so sure about De Bruyne. Is he that good? <laughs> <laughs> so that gets quoted every time he does something incredible. Uh, I was wrong on that one. Um, you and Jose Mourinho. Me and Jose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a Tottenham thing. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a very, very interesting game. I think in the last six years, Portugal one of the four teams to stop Belgium scoring. Uh, only four teams have done it in six years. It's some great firepower. As you said, some old defences. So you never know. On the defence with Belgium, I agree and completely on paper, it's pretty shabby what, they, what they've got there. But they haven't given up many chances at all in this tournament. And I think that obviously is in partly due to the fact that they're playing weaker teams like Finland, for example. Sorry, Dave. But they're... <laughs> but they're uh, I don't know they, ha- they haven't they haven't been they've been more pragmatic as was suggested by Christophe Terreau when he, our Belgium expert who came on and gave us the lowdown on them pre-tournament Roberto Martinez is you know he's careful not to let people get in behind that, behind them so maybe it will be harder going for Cristiano than it seems yeah and Tielemans is wonderful does everything in front of that defence um, but it will be interesting now they're up again I thought Denmark really really had a go at them they just lost a bit tired towards the end Denmark and Belgium's class shone through and they sucker punched them with a couple of quick goals but Denmark had a real go at them so you know they can't I think they could topple over if if uh, 
you know, Portugal are on it. Prediction then? <laughs> um, prediction is 2-1 Portugal. Ooh. So I'm... I'm going to go with probably, I like that 2-1 Johnny, but I'm going to go in extra time. I think I think it's going to be one one all extra time and then one all before 90 minutes and then extra time. And I think our man with the number seven shirt is going <laughs> to pop up and break records is, uh, is going to pop in. They're just a tournament team, aren't they? They just know how to do it. Yeah, it's hard to deny that, but I'm going to go the reverse of you two, and I'm going to go 2-1 Belgium in normal time. I think they're going to make it through. I, think, I don't know if this is their year. I still think they're not the strongest team of all the teams at the tournament, but I just, I just, I just rate De Bruyne and Lukaku too much. I can't see them being shut out. We'll have to see. I think Belgium sort of have that, you know, bridesmaid feeling where they, they sort of just miss out all the time. So I, I think that's their issue. Um but they are a fantastic side. The Euros is about to get serious and so are we. We've teamed up with Beer52.com to bring you a genuinely really good deal. They're offering a free case of eight unique craft beers. You just have to go to www.beer52.com slash Euro2020 or just go to their website and use the code Euro2020 and you'll get this free case of beers. You do have to pay 5 95 postage and packing but that is i mean that's the cost of a pint and you get eight craft beers for that i think it's, a, it's an amazing deal they are the world's largest beer club with over 178,000 active members each month members are sent a new case on a different theme including you know belgian beers korea california beers new zealand and various others you also get a snack and a magazine with that if you don't like dark beer you can choose the light beer pack option and you can pause or cancel your subscription at any time so to try a free case, just head to that website, beer52.com slash Euro2020, or use the code Euro2020 and just pay that 5 95 postage to pick up your free pack of beers. That is an offer for people in the UK only. For the second half of the pod, I can also welcome Simon Collings from the Evening Standard. Hello, Simon. Hi, guys. How you doing? Good, good. We're just rattling through these games. We'll move on to Monday, June 28th, Croatia versus Spain in Copenhagen. Let's see if playing away from their own fans can help Spain with all the fuss around Alvar Morata. And Croatia are improving as they go, aren't they, Simon? You went to the game against Scotland in Glasgow? Yeah, I mean, I saw Croatia play, obviously, like everyone else watching them play England and then against the Czech Republic. And I wasn't utterly convinced about them actually getting out of the groups. I thought they were, they were one of the worst teams. But just in that game against Scotland, certainly the last half an hour, I think we saw shades of the Croatia of old and it all basically centred around Luka Modric and I do feel for them in this tournament if they can get him you know the players around him to give him the licence to control the game I think they can be a threat because he's not the same player he was three years ago you know simply physically but when he was given the opportunity by Scotland to have time on the ball I mean everyone saw the goal it was ridiculous and I, and I do feel with Kovacic next to him, with Brozovic, I think he looks looks better in a three. But um, certainly, I think Croatia as well have got the experience in the now. And I think they will possibly fancy their chances against the Spain team, who, as we said, until that last game, haven't looked, looked like the usual Spain we'd expect at a major tournament. That midfield battle is absolutely going to be key because Spain is all about the midfield. 
and Croatia's midfield is definitely their strongest part. And you know a lot about Luka Modric, don't you, Johnny, as a Spurs fan? <laughs> Those were the days. <laughs> Little magician. Although he was, I think, farmed out to left midfield at one point by Harry Redknapp, so that wasn't ideal. Um, <laughs> I agree, the midfield battle's going to be great. You've got what, over 250 caps between him and Busquets, and, and they know each, each other very, very well. Um, I do think that Croatia are coming to the end of their cycle now. It's not rocket science to see. They've got an old squad. Um, doesn't seem to be that much coming through. And experience will help, but I'm just not sure they've got the legs, to be honest with you, to, to cope with Spain, who haven't been great. But they, they do move the ball well still, uh, and I just think Spain will have too much. It's quite interesting to see Perisic, who always seems to be on fire for Croatia in international tournaments, doesn't seem to do that much at club level. I don't watch all that much Serie A, but... For Croatia, he's, he's absolutely incredible. And Spain could do with someone who, who's always popping up and scoring goals because Alvaro Morata hasn't really been going for him so far. He scored one, but he missed a penalty. And as, as you mentioned earlier, Johnny, that's five penalties in a row Spain have missed now. And I don't know, are, are, are Spain going to keep the goals flowing after finally popping that cork, as Luis Enrique put it, against Slovakia? It's an interesting one. Would you rather have a striker who's creating chances and missing them or, you know... We'll get to Harry Kane, I'm sure. Well, not getting any chances. At least Morata's getting in the position. Um, he's not a prolific centre-forward, but I think he's been a little bit harshly treated, if I'm honest. Simon, what do you make of Spain's attack? Uh, yeah, I found Morata an interesting one because I, I remember the first, the first time I saw him was actually at the last Euros, um, 2016. And I, I did... The alarming thing for a striker is when I saw him, the, the thing I liked most about him wasn't his finishing or his goal score ability. I liked everything else about his game. You know, I liked the way he would link the play, his build-up play, and I thought he's he's a perfect striker in that sense. And I kind of feel if... It sounds odd for a striker, but you don't really play him to be your sort of 2025 20, a goal season striker. I don't think he's ever really done that. And I think in this Spain team, there needs to be an acceptance that he isn't, you know, going to be that sort of Lewandowski Kane figure, but he is going to be someone that links the play and is very good for an attack. And I, I kind of wonder whether having Gerard Moreno in the team as well, who we know has obviously got a very good goal record, is a more traditional striker, even though he's out wide, whether that just takes some of the burden off him. Because I think for what he brings to the team, apart from his goals, I think Morata is very good. And I know he does seem to be a lightning rod for criticism, which as someone who covers and follows Arsenal's, know that there are players who just attract criticism, whatever happens. So I think he's going to be that sort of figure no matter what comes. But, you know, France showed in, in 2018, you can have a striker who doesn't even score a goal in the whole tournament and you can win the thing. So I, I think sometimes um, he cops a little too much un, unfair flack, I think, Morata. Yeah, he says that himself, actually. This week, he said he couldn't sleep for nine hours after the game against Switz- against sorry against Poland. And he's had death threats even to his children, which obviously we can't condone. And I agree with you completely on, on Gerard Moreno. I think Gerard Moreno is an absolutely fantastic striker. And Spain have looked a lot better since bringing him into the team. I don't know why Luis Enrique didn't play him in the first game, because he's had an amazing season with Villarreal. And I think there is enough... Go- Spain do have enough goals between all of their forwards. It's not about just one of the forwards because Morata isn't going to score enough by himself. Moreno, he actually missed a penalty as well in one of the previous games. He, you know, he is a guy who could probably get you five or six goals across the tournament. And it doesn't look like he's going to this time starting on that right-hand side. But Pablo Sarabia, Danny Olmo, and then you'd hope some of the midfielders can at least offer one or two goals for Spain. And they're getting enough chances. I mean, they scored five the other day, didn't they? So I think, <laughs> I think they're all right for goals, I think. And, and the issue was, I never... 
you didn't really watch Spain and think, oh God, you know, they're not really creating anything here. They were creating stuff. They weren't just taking them. So I, it did feel like when one went in, they could have a result where someone got a drubbing and it probably did help that, you know, Dubravka opted just a volleyball smash run into his net to kick them off. But I think very they generous. are yeah, very generous of them. And I think that's probably what Spain needed. But once they get going, Spain, you know, they're a side who, if they hit their groove, they can just take off. Prediction then from you, Simon? Um, I do fancy Spain to go through, I think. Um, I think it will be 2-1 to Spain, is my prediction. Johnny? 2-0 Spain. I think they'll be quite comfortable, to be honest. Gibbo? I'm going to go 3-1 Spain. I think they, they're going to start firing. The carver still flowing, as Luis Enrique put it. I'm going to say 1-0 to Spain, and Croatia are going to make it tough, but I think that's all of us back in Spain to get through. The other game that night is France-Switzerland in Bucharest, and it looks like the end of the line for Switzerland, surely. Yeah, I'm stunned they're still in it, to be honest. <laughs> um, by the virtue of being one of the worst, you know, the lucky losers. Um, yeah, don't give them much chance. It's a very... I think Switzerland's record in the knockout stages is, is well, it's almost non-existent. It's, it's not great at all. Um, as Joe Joe said on the previous pod, the unlovable Swiss. Um, I'm sure I'll, if anyone's listening in Switzerland, they're probably hating on us and leaving us bad reviews. But uh, yeah, I, I just I can't see I can't see them getting past a, a strong French team. Yeah, they're a very. Um just an unmemorable team Switzerland like I just can't other than Granite Xhaka with his bleach blonde hair I can't think of you know a definable if you were describing how they play or you know key play you know Shakiri seems to be the key man he's you know barely in the Liverpool team and I just find with them so the getting out of the groups is, is, a, is an achievement for them and I really cannot see them getting past the France side who for me as well feel like they've been growing with each game in this tournament it kind of feels like they've just been pacing themselves to take off sort of now and I do worry that Switzerland are going to catch a France team who've warmed up and are now really ready to to attack the competition the end yeah it's, um, well, you, you go Johnny okay I was just agree with that they'd kept five clean sheets in a row until they were Portugal were ordered two fairly dubious penalties uh I can't see the Swiss knocking the door down though no. And they could have another penalty at the end of that one too with Bruno, probably the, the biggest penalty of the lot committing oh, a foul oh, at the end. Yeah, yeah. The one issue for France, I'd say, is perhaps the defence. I think that Mbolo and Seferovic for Switzerland might be able to get at Kimpembe. He's not, to me, the strongest defender. And they've got problems with the injuries in the full-back positions. They've had to play centre-backs there. Jules Koundé was right back in the last game. Then Luca Dean came on and he was off within six minutes of the restart in the second half. And so perhaps the defence could be got at, but then N'Golo Kante, he'll just clean everything up, won't he? I'm just amazed you, we've got to a round of 16 of a tournament and we haven't mentioned their, their one problem being harmony within the dressing room. Because um, normally by now, they're all swiping at each other. Um, they've got such a good squad, I don't think it matters if they lose one or two uh, through injury. And whilst Mbolo's been fantastic, um, I just don't think that he's got the backup in that team to trouble France. I mean, they tried, their be- they tried their best to have a revolt, didn't they? When the whole Giroud and Mbappe thing looked like it was gonna, it was gonna kick off. But I, I wonder slightly if Giroud realised there he was fighting a losing battle against probably the near enough best player in the world. So yeah, they got out of the way at the start, like I do at the cinema yeah. with my bag of pick and mix, all gone before the film starts. 
Yeah. On, a, on an interesting note on this, I mean, obviously, with the Euros, you're playing against teams of other nations, so you're not necessarily going to understand the language, but this is almost like a local derby, you know. Well, it is, is a derby, they're neighbours, you've got France and Switzerland, so I'm sure, you know, they'll both be able to understand the language of each player, so, you know, that that could help either side, and, you know, and know their plays and what they're doing. It's always an interesting one, I believe, when, when teams, you know, sort of like England-Scotland, when they, they both can understand each other's plays and, and calls. I remember the meeting, I think, at 2014, and France hammered them, I think, 5-2. Um, and Swiss were in that game. Uh, but I just I can't see any positives for the Swiss. Um, look, if they defend, if they keep it tight, you never know. You can get yourselves all the way through to penalties, and you never know, but not for me. Is their defence going to have as many holes as it as the Swiss cheese, though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to ask for predictions because we've, we've all we've all been pretty clear. France all round. On to Tuesday, June 29th, the last day of the last 16, and the big one: England against Germany. Gareth Southgate missed from the spot at Euro '96 as England knocked as Germany knocked England out. Sorry, in the semi-finals. I was rewriting history there to my own <laughs> to my own desire, but but that's not what happened. And to be honest, a lot but a lot of this England squad wasn't even born at that point, so they don't even know anything about that really beyond what they've you know, heard or seen clips of. And I think they'll try and block all that out and not have this as a big kind of England versus Germany battle, will they? It'd be great to actually rewrite history because I'm getting a little tired of the Euro 96 stuff. It's fantastic. For me, the memories, it was it was a great tournament. We've all seen the stuff, but it, it's enough now. The Gaza, Anderton. I'm actually fortunate enough to be going, managed to get a ticket uh, through the ballot. And I've never seen England concede a goal, but I will say that's twice against San Marino and once against Israel. <laughs> So, um, but it should be great and it's one of the biggest games in world football it really is so it won't just be gripping us it'll be, it'll be gripping everybody Gibbo you were trying to get a ticket weren't you on that on the website but you had trouble with the, proving you weren't a robot yeah, yeah well, the UEFA website wanted to prove that I wasn't a robot but I've had my first vaccine jab so maybe I am a robot <laughs> I don't know um, Simon you, you've seen Saka play a lot this season and obviously had to put in a start of performance um, in the last game. How important do you think he is going through for the rest of the tournament? Yeah, I mean, that's going to be the um, one of the big selection issues now. And I think Southgate's had him going all the way through, isn't he, with Grealish, with Sancho. And I think he's got it now with Saka, whether you keep him or you don't. Um, for me, I'd be, I'd be so tempted just to keep him in there just because I kind of feel like in a tournament, when you find something that works and when you find something that's going right, I just kind of think you stick with it. It's such a short period of time. You, you just you just got to go for it. And if something works, you know that's it. You get you get unlikely heroes in tournaments. Players who step up who you don't think were going to be, you know, the person who's going to lead you forward. And I kind of feel like with Saka, he just offers something a little different with his directness, with his ability to drop into more central areas. Uh, and I, and I would I would play him against Germany, but. It's going to be really interesting because there's another question: Is do you go with the back three? Do you match up what Germany do, or do you stick with your guns? Um, that for me will be the most intriguing thing. I think whether we see Southgate tinker with a formation that's worked in all three games, that's seen three clean sheets, or whether he changed it to a back three. I don't know. What would you guys think? Would you would you change formation to match Germany, or would you say, look, we've done well enough as it is. Why should we change for for someone else? I'd leave it. Mm. I think you've got to make you've got to make quite a lot of changes to redo the formation, a lot of shuffling around, and I, 
I think we should, Germany have looked poor with three. I think anyone should be changing it. It should be them. Mm. Um, I'm not sure it's been working for them. No, I, I would leave it. I, I think Saka should start. But I do worry that he rotated it. Uh, I feel like he picked this team six months ago, Southgate, and, and really won't change it in the big games. Um, I think we might revert back to the team match day one. And they're even talking about Mount maybe playing. And I know he comes out of isolation on Monday evening. He'd have done none of the prep. I know they can talk to them and he can watch training and all that. For me, that would be a, a mistake. Um, but I just worry that Southgate reverts back to his sort of safe option. I can see yeah. that as well, yeah. I can see Mason Mount playing. I can see Southgate picking that match day one team. And then, with 30 minutes to go, if it's still tight, if it's still nil-nil, then changing up and bringing... Bringing Grealish, £100 million in theory for Manchester City. Jack Grealish on. One goal since November, Jack Grealish on. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he was good, though, off the bench in the in the second game against Scotland. He was the most fouled player. And then Bright, of course, in the in the third game against the Czech Republic. I think the issue is as well, though, is that if, if any team... If, any, if watching Germany, the main thing I've looked at them is going... They're there to be got at. If you go at this Germany team defensively, they are not, you know, they are not, they are not a great side. Particularly with, I think Kimmich and, and Gusens certainly seem to enjoy going forward than they do more defensively. Even though I think Kimmich is a good defender, I think he just in that side seems to enjoy it more. So, if ever there was a moment for Southgate to be bold and attacking, which I don't think he will be, you could argue it was this game. And, and I, it, it reminds me a bit of 2010 when. That was an England team that was ageing and coming towards the end of the cycle. And I think some people would say that about this Germany team. And I really do think if England go at them with a young, attacking, pacey team, you know, it could really cause Germany some problems there. But I agree with you guys. I can't see Southgate veering away from what he's done so far, which is keep it safe, keep it tight. And then in the last 30 minutes, you've got players who can go and win you the game. But I feel like Germany are there for, for the taking if, if, if he's brave. I think Thomas Muller will come back in for Germany and, and that's the kind of def- uh, attacker that I think England's defence, which has been quite good so far, hasn't let in a single goal, might find harder to handle. Not someone who's who's straightforward. It's not about being quick or being powerful. It's it, His positioning and the way he moves is, is what's hard and I think that will be more difficult for Stones and, and Maguire to deal with. Yeah, he's never scored at a Euros, which is, is phenomenal. Um, absolute beast at a World Cup. <laughs> yeah can't score is it like 13 appearances maybe 14 now at the Euros and has never scored so I'm sure I've just put the mockers on it and he will <laughs> he can score as long as we've scored four yeah I think Muller's a hard player for that defence just because of his movement is going to be unlike anything that they'll have come up really in the in the group stage in terms of calibre of attackers all credit to the sides England have faced but his ability to find those pockets of space you know, it's going to be very dangerous. And I, th- I think having Maguire back there is a big thing for me. I know um, a lot of people aren't huge fans of Harry Maguire, but I think you saw with Manchester United when he was out of their team, the lack of leadership they had there. And England, I don't think, have it as bad as that, but I feel when he's in that side, as much as it's for his defensive ability and his ability on the ball, I think his leadership is is huge. And it's why also I'd be quite tempted to play Jordan Henderson um, over someone like Calvin Phillips if he was fit enough. Because again, I feel like that that in this sort of game, having that sort of leadership would be would be quite big. That's oh, interesting. God, I, I think to me. Rice personally, personally, mm. not because I don't think he's any good. I just think Phillips has got the legs, uh, and I'd play Henderson alongside him. If you start with Henderson, you're almost 
consigning himself to have to take him off after about an hour, maybe. And I feel like yeah. he hasn't got much more than that in him. That is the issue. Do you get? Is it? Is it still? Is it five subs in the Euros? So I suppose you've got the luxury of that. But um, yeah, it's never nice picking a player, thinking, "Oh, can you give me an hour?" And then I'm taking you off. Um, and the Rice Phillips thing is interesting because I think before the tournament, you know, Rice was definitely ahead of him in the pecking order. But I think Phillips has had probably a better tournament than, than Declan Rice. Um, and as you say, he is more mobile against the Germany midfield that. Tony Cruz, a bit like Luka Modric, I think, isn't the same player he was a few years ago. And if you can get the legs on him, a bit like Chelsea did in that, that Champions League game, I think that's how you're going to get at him. You're going to need runners. And if Phillips can do what he did to Modric to Cruz, I think that would be would be very effective. Let's have a prediction from everyone then. Oh, this is the worst one. Um, I think England will win 2-0, I think. Strong prediction keep up the clean sheets oh, I think 2-1 extra time England no that's not going to happen because if it goes to extra time <laughs> it's going to if it goes to extra time it's going to penalty 2-0 um, England yeah wow Gibbe I'm going to go 1-0 England after extra time it, it, it's, it's going to be decided before the dreaded penalties it'll be like in the, in, in the second period when the halftime chat will be oh it's going to penalties and they'll go to Jürgen Klinsmann in the studio and, and talk about <laughs> it but uh, no no I, I have faith it's uh, you know it'll probably be someone like Luke Shaw who, who just absolutely buries one and uh, it'll be a 1-0 and there'll be absolute limbs in delirium in, in London for a few days <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna follow up with you guys and go go with that as well. Go with England. Go with one nil in normal time. Now we'll move on to the last game, the Battle of the Yellows, Ukraine against Sweden in Glasgow. You're there, Simon. What do you make What do you make of this one? Um, I mean, when when the draw was originally put out, I was very excited because I was like, right, I'm gonna see Spain in Glasgow, <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure there was um, some Spanish media who probably sort of already earmarked themselves being in Glasgow as well, but. Uh, it's, I think it's probably one of the weakest last 16 games. They say um, the best to long. Yeah, and I mean, England, well, should they get through, will face the win of it, which adds, adds a bit of intrigue from, from a work perspective. Um, but I've, I've, I actually watched a bit of Sweden the other day, and um, they were, I think they're a better side than I'd originally given them credit for. I think a lot more very well organised. I think Forsberg, who's a player... I'm sure a lot of us know has been highly rated and tipped for years on end and seeing him perform at a major tournament um, is something to something to be pleased about. And as for Ukraine, a very strange side that um, I was sort of surprised they've sort of got this far and any team that is based around Yarmolenko, who seems to be a different animal when he's playing for Ukraine than West Ham, looks like a different bloke. Um, but they, for me, feel like a side who just... I think they'll just be beaten by a Sweden side will be more organised and more disciplined than them. I think Ukraine are one of those teams um, who just have their magic moments, but they're not really sustainable for, for tournament football. On, on Yarmolenko, a, a message for you, Johnny, from Joe. He says, your Yarmolenko shout was top and he is, I quote, gutted to miss you on this pod. <laughs> oh, thank you, Joe. Uh, is it actually Joe or did, did my wife message you? <laughs> <laughs> um, some fan mail. Uh, I got lucky there, but he does turn it on against for Ukraine. He just does, and he doesn't seem bothered or doesn't like the pace of the Premier League. I don't know what it is. Um, I agree with everything uh, Simon said there. Sweden just organise and do what they got to do. 
um, but they don't have bore me to tears sometimes. Ukraine surprised me a little bit against Austria when they knew that a win would get them through. They were absolutely terrible, and they've got in through the back door because of other results. Um, yeah, I think Sweden will get through, um, and hopefully we will too. And it'll be like the last World Cup where we'll beat them in the, in the next round. But uh, Sweden are so functional. I think Ukraine wish they were functional because they, they're not. They're completely disorganised. And I think Simon's right. Functionality will win through. Couldn't believe Ukraine in the last game. They were, they were so impressive in the first two. You know, decent against Holland to come back from behind. And then they won the next one. And then and then were just shocking against Austria. Sweden are what Switzerland want to be, I think. I know, again, we're, <laughs> we're pissing off the Swiss listeners. But they are. I think that is what Switzerland think they are. But Sweden actually execute it. And... Um, yeah, I can see them getting through. And then an England-Sweden quarterfinal, Sven will do as much media as he can for sort of four or five days. Um, and everyone will be happy. So, I don't think we should be afraid of, of, of upsetting the Swiss listeners because, and maybe because of what we've done, that they are negligible. I, I can keep an eye on all the charts. We've seen like Finland, we're second in the charts of football pod. Trinidad and Tobago, we were first. Even in like England, we've still been in the top 10 at times, but Switzerland never appear on my, my chart list. There's a reason so I don't know if that's that. chicken and egg, yeah. <laughs> in terms of Sweden, Alexander Isak's been absolutely fantastic. And he hasn't scored yet, but he could have scored a bunch of goals. They look much better off when they don't play Marcus Berg. He's 34, he's very slow. But Janne Andersson, the coach, absolutely loves him. He didn't start against Poland. And suddenly they scored three goals. They look much more exciting when Berg's not in the team. Yeah, and he missed that sitter against Spain. Um my brother-in-law actually lives in Sweden and he said there's a saying in Sweden and I don't wish to translate it, but something along the lines of, oh shit, it's Marcus Berg again. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, Isak's a top player. I've not really seen much of him. Uh, he's been fantastic. Murata will be fuming that Isak's not even scored a goal and he's getting lavished with all this praise. And But I, I do think Isak's, yeah, I, I agree. I'd, I'd, not, I'd heard things about him simply because of his age and the way he'd broken through. Um and I think he was at Dortmund for a bit, wasn't he? And then he got sold from there. And I mean, if Dortmund buy any young player, they, they're usually onto something. It's a bit like when Brentford want one of your players, you should be worried then. Um, and I think he's, yeah, for me, he looks, I think he's being linked with a lot of clubs, but he looks ready-made for certainly somewhere like the Premier League, given his physical attributes and his age is, is incredible. Um, and they look a much better side with him in the team, I think. Just, you know, if I'm a centre-back and it's Marcus Berg, 34 up there, I'm thinking I've got an easy night. Whereas... If he's act being a pest, I think it's it's going to be much tougher. Yeah, and Kulusevski was pretty good against Poland as well. Got a couple of assists. He's much, much quicker than than Berg. So, I mean, I'd love to see them start together. And I've got to give credit to Alexandra Jonsson, the Sweden expert we had on, because she said Forsberg, this time around, unlike at previous tournaments, was going to shine because there's much less pressure on him with Izak, with Kulusevski, with, with the other talents they have in attack now. It's not just about Forsberg, and it gives him room to go and strut his stuff. He's got three. He's got uh, three goals from three attempts on target. So he's, uh, you know, he's fairly accurate. He's a good player. Maybe we're doing Sweden a disservice because you mentioned those players, Isak and Forsberg and Kraysson's done well and Kulusevski. They actually have got some good attacking players. To be fair, um, so maybe they will just peaking at the right time, and I think they'll get through this comfortably. Maybe they lulled us, lulled us into a full sense of security in that first game when they were just so defensive against Spain. That we and then they were terrible in the first half against Slovakia as well. We didn't really give them much, much, much credit. But then after that, they've been pr- pretty good. And but they missed two sitters against Spain, so you know they they do create chances if I they want I, to. I think as well the Forsberg thing is 
is an example of how, I mean, Sweden, I remember in the tournaments gone by, it would basically be like, if you keep Slatan quiet, you know, you're in for an easy, in for an easy ride. Whereas I think now at least they do have three, four attackers in that forward line who defenders will think, well, we can't just mark Forsberg because, you know, he's there and stuff. So I do think they are a more rounded team. Um, and yeah, we maybe we're being a bit harsh complaining that they sat sat deep against Spain and got a draw. I think most teams would probably set up shop like that. They also have Jordan Larson on the bench, Henrik Larson's son, and he's a striker as well. He could add add something in the latter stages of the game. Maybe an extra time could come on and and cause problems for teams. Let's get a prediction from you guys for Sweden Ukraine then. Uh, I think it's going to be Sweden. Are going to win. Um, I think it'd be one nil Sweden. Two one Sweden for me. I'm going to go two nil Sweden. I think. I'm going with Johnny. Two one Sweden for me. I think Ukraine have got have got goals in them with Yarmo in good form, but Sweden are going to take it. And that's it. That's the pod. Us over and out for now. We're back soon. In the meantime, please share it. Try the Beer 52 free crate if you're in the UK. It would help us out. See you soon.